This is Changeling the Podcast. Welcome to Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with us is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. Salutations. What are we talking about tonight, Puka? We are opening the pages of War and Concordia, the Shattered Dream, from quite near the end of the second edition run. Yeah, you can, yeah. You just can tell. A, you see, a, <laughs> a content warning for this book and maybe this podcast, it gets kind of grisly. Yeah, it's, it's it's a very civil war, civil war kind of war here. There's a lot of stuff, and it doesn't shy away from some of it. Yeah, particularly in the context of current events at time of recording, we will try to handle these issues with as much sensitivity as possible. But it is a book about a civil war among the Kithane, so mm-hmm. yeah, take note. This is actually one of the books I dug out some old developer chat transcripts from WhiteWolf.com, and I can pin down pretty exactly the date this was released which is a rarity among these books mm-hmm. yeah they definitely just stopped updating the copyright notice because it's still copyright 1999 yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like referring to like in lovely memory to a mother passing away like paula yeah. caseta in 2000 i'm like yeah that's uh... this was also specifically mentioned in those developer chats where they said what happened to war on concordia and they said oh jackie's mother passed and there was a bunch of other stuff so it will be coming out in january 2001 and mm. then the chat in February was like, how about that new book, War in Concordia? So mm. that's where we're at temporally. Yep. It's very weird reading this book now. It's interestingly prescient in some ways and depressingly intuitive in others. And But I do want to take a moment and say that page two of this book, I had all the feels because the opening special thanks are dedicated to the posters on the White Wolf Changeling Forum. Many, many mm. names are listed, many of which I recognize, some of which I remember fondly. And I'm I'm wondering if this was actually the book that made me aware that there were White Wolf forums, because mm. I know my name is certainly not on the list, but I'm like, I recognize enough of these people that I, I must have been on not long after. So At least one of them I know listens to the podcast from looking through here. So, <laughs> Well, recently, I think Matt Boggan joined exactly. our Discord. So hi, Matt Boggan. Yeah, hi. You're on this... Charlie's character Julius is in here and and I don't know if you remember when we did Isle of the Mighty I think I mentioned I learned to pronounce the name of the Welsh town from a foramite and that was Becca Toria who's on here because she sent me a sound mm. recording like back in the day and I was like ah oh, Kieran McNamara and Lofir and Mistypaw I think some of these folks also migrated over to Shadow and Essence but not mm-hmm. all of them yeah nevertheless they were an important part of finding Changeling community for me. So I want to say also special thanks to those folks because I got quite dewy-eyed <laughs> looking at this. It's a different Puka. The random Puka is not randomly. Assisted. No, the random Puka is not. As as far as I can recall, that's not me. Yeah. I mean, this is how far back we're going. This is before I was Puka. So, oh. Yeah. Anyway, this, I think, is how you get a hit of glamour serious enough to knock you back from grump to child. <laughs> Because I was just like, wow, looking at all of these names. There's Bo, there's Atog, like, ah. 
Amazing. Oh yeah, eight dog. I remember eight dog. Anyway. Thanks, forums. But moving on to the opening fiction. Yeah. So this is the story of a man on the streets who doesn't really remember much of anything. Clearly affected by the mists. And then a childling satyr hands him a treasure, I think, which enchants him or... Oh, I thought it was just like a, a token, like an enchantment. Yeah, he then destroys it later to get more glamour from it. So I'm a little bit... I'm trying to Dross. Remember Dross. Okay, yeah. Things I, I bring back in my C20 games. That don't yep. work in C20. Basically, the child was just trying to enchant him to get some adult to help defend against a group of nasty she. Unseely she. Well, very unseely. Like a yeah. Baylor and an Aleel. And, and this guy's name is thinks of himself as Nile. I think he has a different name based on some other mm-hmm. stuff in this book. And then he like tries to defend him, but he basically can't really remember much of anything. Just remembers he's a she has Gwydion. And <laughs> I wonder who he could be. Yeah. Very, very banality ridden and old, but still passionate. And then uh, challenges to a duel where he fights the duel, but it doesn't really matter because the Baylor just slits the childling's throat like in the middle of the duel with a, cold iron dagger now he's like nile or whoever his name is it's like doesn't just fall back into the mists but starts heading out resolving never to become undone by drink again i felt like it was maybe a little bit heavy-handed in terms of setting the scene but you know as opening stories go it certainly sets the tone for the book and establishes what's going on with mm-hmm. the war in concordia situation so yep and then that takes us into the introduction Yes. Something that I felt continually uncertain about in this book was whether or not the war was actually happening or not, because it sometimes seems like the book is trying to have it both ways, which to some extent it has to be because it wants to give tables the option about how much of this Mm -hmm. meta plot update to incorporate. But it's like, okay, war is brewing. Oh no, war is breaking out. Oh, war is in full swing. It's like all three of those at the same time. (laughs) It's very slow too. Yeah. And it seems very deliberately slow. I'm also not sure when we'll get to a timeline later and it doesn't seem to quite add up some of the dates, but it's like taking several years of not just since David disappeared, but of like, well, this is the instigating incident. And it's like, uh, okay. And then a year later, more still like it's that's not a right yeah instigating incident that's and then another year later and there's been a battle and you're like okay yeah in retrospect it's you know of course they may have planned to do a lot more and then the line got yeah. canceled so there's a lot about being in art house also like mm-hmm. i think there were supposed to be some other books out first that sort of got crammed yeah. into here there's a whole like kingdom of apples chapter that's just like right that chapter, oh, I'm going to have things to say about that chapter. Yeah. I hadn't really remembered exactly what it contained, but anyway. In the introduction, at least, it sounds like the Parliament of Dreams has dissolved. There's disunity among the noble houses. The Unseely are totally happy about the chaos that's breaking out. And commoners overall are looking for a chance to start over. Or yeah. at least make life better for themselves. Yeah, if anything... This introduction makes the boars not have enough sides and see too, seem mm. too clean, even though it's like a bunch of different sides described and stuff. Yeah, there's a bunch of different axes of fracture along which uh, Kithane society yeah. is breaking. It seems more like 
less even civil war really like they're saying it's civil war all the way through here but when you read the book it's like is, is this this is actually describing like a completely failed state level yeah yeah, yeah. which I, I mean i think civil war doesn't need to have just two clean sides no not yes, just two I clean guess. sides but i mean i'm not it, it doesn't but there's like degrees of how much things fracture in a civil war and yeah. this is like very on the we don't complete have... free-for-all yeah and like so many different factions you have no idea who's doing what anymore and yeah i want to say jackie and nikki's books i think they have probably the grasp of mood and theme that cleaves closest to mine Mm -hmm. so we're told that moods include a martial stirring fear and uncertainty discord whereas the themes include things like the fisher king kind of idea the connection between the ruler and the land so david's disappearance causes the land of Concordia to fall into chaos, personal gain versus common good, and the brutality of modern war. There's a piece about the Accordance War revisited, and it reads like a very generation after Vietnam text to me. And like the Accordance War has always kind of been a Vietnam War metaphor, but... Yeah, we're like Vietnam, but also it's like taking the American Civil War and making it Vietnamese or something. Actually, this whole book is so american in a way that i'm having trouble following like yeah the vietnam war and the american civil war and the revolutionary war are all very strong in here in like i can tell enough that they're strong in there but i i'm definitely missing things because i'm not as in that i'll fill in as much as i can <laughs> yeah because <laughs> it's certainly it's not my area of historical expertise or main interest but clearly it is for people involved in this book. So, Well, not even the history. It's more like the year 2001 effects of that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like the Boston bits remind me of being in Boston, just how revolutionary war it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a Boston Tea Party or Boston Dross Party, I guess. So. <sighs> yeah. I feel like the book really wants people to run war games. And I'm thinking, you know, these are the role playing games that drew me away from those. But. I guess I get it. And whether whether it's because I've changed or the world has, it just reads and feels very different now. Uh, okay, let's get into the book. But it's uh, I think the kind of war games it's talking about are not the uh, other kinds of role-playing game war games you normally see. Like All they needed was to have rules for miniatures, and then it would have been mm-hmm. like... <laughs> yeah, um, but like... Fayhammer. I definitely... If you read this, it doesn't seem to be glorifying it or saying this no, is the fun no, part. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, And there's a really nice, I think, dig at Mel Gibson at the end of the introduction. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that movie. I haven't, seen the I haven't either, but that's just how it yeah. reads to me. Anyway. So yeah, chapter one. This is a gargantuan chapter that takes up half the book. So uh, yeah, let's get into it. Starts with one of those faux handwritten. There's a lot of faux handwritten things, too. Do you know, at this point, the trope of she lover achingly departs his beloved, but also leaves her extensive notes on the secret history and current events committee. Like, it just, I giggle every time now because it's so common. But this time it's an allele. This time. And the whole chapter is this sort of like communique followed by a few pages of out of character notes or not always out of character. So, yeah. Anyway. We have a quick recap of the meta plot from Kingdom of Willows up until this point. So mm-hmm. David married Feralith, which annoyed his sister Morwen, and Queen Mab of Apples, the guardian of David's heir Lenore. Before they could warm up to Feralith, David vanished, thanks to Milgid's machinations. 
uh, Fairlith sets out to continue his tour and his work, aided by Galahad and Lancelot. I mean, um, Safe and Lou. And uh, <laughs> since then, we've got all of these intertwining narratives about how the war started from various perspectives, including every society imaginable, mm-hmm. as well as like every fake handwritten font on fake paper and black and white combination possible, I think. So this book was definitely written, like they reference a lot of things from previous books, but it seems like they were trying to write it as if you didn't need to have any of those other books to the point where if you just want a book about the secret societies and meta plot and all that of Changeling up through second edition, you could just get this book, I think, in the old Fez. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. skip the rest. <laughs> the most recent updates in this book are that Parliament was summoned to Taranar and informed of David's disappearance. They pulled their subjects before meeting again and took the opportunity to fortify their freeholds in preparation for war and then returned to nominate a speaker, which at the time of recording is kind of a banality trigger for me. Um, <sighs> yeah. So... <laughs> But then they realize they have to kind of like deal with a succession crisis and they fracture into supporters of the three potential queens. So Fairleth, who is the high queen, mm-hmm. Morwen, the king's sister, who is the uh, regent for Lenore, I guess. And then Lenore, the heir, who everyone's like, oh, she's too young. Yeah. And that's just the very noble side of the parliament. <laughs> yeah. There was the interesting bit about how when they were trying to get a speaker, so the high lords of what was it, Elanid, Elil, and Dougal were there. Mm-hmm. And the Elanid High Lord like pulled rank and declared himself speaker. And I don't know that we've seen like, that's what you can do with that title, but I'm into it. Oh, I'm all for like fey politics, just making stuff up for yeah. things like that. Why not? It's like, you've got thousands of years of weird precedent and just strange things happen. Yeah. So then we get a letter from Ranulf Alp Dougal calling on the Red Branch to keep up its knightliness, even if the throne is empty. Mm-hmm. The Red Branch being the... How would you describe the Red Branch? Actually, they describe the Red Branch pretty well here. Classic <laughs> paladins. Yep. Like, they're just the paladins. The Sealy paladins. We get some unseely. Yeah. Opposed to the Red Branch. <laughs> well, interestingly, I mean, yes, it is Sealy because you kind of have these descriptions about how they're using the heraldry on their shields or whatever to declare their support for the different queens. And they're like, da, da, da. And then the last paragraph when they're like, oh, there's all this division. One hope remains. Why don't we just institute a police state? <laughs> like, what? Yep. Yeah, the fourth side. Let's just uh, ignore Sorry. all the claimants and just, we're in charge. Let's do a junta. The Sealy, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. Ladies and gentle fay. Anyway, so then we get... Another letter, and we find out later that this is the lover that the Elil she was writing to. So this is mm-hmm. Charity the Slua, and she's kind of telling him off and being like, wake up. Mm-hmm. So I liked that. She's like, you just don't get it, noble. Her journal is the, I guess, commoner perspective? Yep. With art that I swear is originally from Vampire. It is. It's in the Vampire Storyteller's Companion with the Thanatosis Discipline. <laughs> this is the art house art budget being slowly drained see this is why changeling works on the storyteller vault because we got art house to prepare us for it yep they certainly blew the layout budget all at once though because i guess why not yeah we get notes in here about the commoners trying to carry on nervously as usual as the nobles start turning freeholds into bunkers and charging tolls for the trods and then the last straw that really kind of broke the commoner camel back was the oaths of loyalty 
such as the oath of loyal affirmation given here that many yep. freehold owners are demanding. I actually, when I was playing in a Changeling LARP, this book came out near the end of the Chronicle. Oh no. And most of the player characters, including me, were playing commoners. And it did come out this way. Like it's kind of we hadn't read War and Concordia, the storytellers had, and it was kind of funny how it worked sort of as a experiment on the thirty or so players, player characters. Life imitates art. Yep. Or the other way around, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, the Revolutionary War parallels are strong with like the whatever it was, sedition acts, all that stuff. Then we get a speech, I guess, from Adama, who is an issue commanding general of the armies of the Dreaming. More on him later. Mm-hmm. He's trying to encourage his warriors' morale. So here's where we get like the actual timeline of the war thus far, or like the two events that are the most warlike. And I suppose we only really get two, I guess, in order to allow storytellers to like add in their own stuff into this timeline i'm not yeah. sure they they say there were other things yeah without giving it would have been nice if they had a bit more not detailed just named a few other things i found like and then this happened in this place just one little i like that yeah as you're saying that i'm kind of just comparing it in my head to fool's luck where we got yeah. dozens of like named battles and dates and stories and stuff just kind of scattered mm-hmm. and it wasn't like you had to know all of them or how they all fit together, but it created this this sense of like, oh yeah, this was an ongoing big thing that everyone mm-hmm. was involved in. And this is more like everyone's probably heard about these two events and maybe kind of shaping their yeah. reactions on the basis of them, but it's just two events. Yeah, I so. might I might be wrong here, but it does feel like they had this planned over a much shorter time frame and then the, yeah. the whole art house publishing slowness just they took the plot points and just stretched it out. Perhaps, yeah. So we get the Boston Harbor Revels, which is basically a Boston Tea Party where Fenerius the Puka leads a raid on yep. the Count's yacht and steals the dross. Yeah, a group of pirates in submarines or something, probably. And then the following month is the Battle of Cold Fort. This is a very little battle. Like <laughs> Yeah, and it was just it was more like a failed raid than anything else. Yeah. Where they were trying to liberate their commoner friends from the oppressive noble and then a troll childling like beat them back yeah neither of these if you were to have something like this in your game would require the upcoming mass combat rules that are later in this book like yeah you you could do this quite easily with the existing rules that is an excellent point (laughs) maybe that's why it doesn't feel like the war is actually in progress because there's like this one sort of rabble-rousing destruction of dross moment and then this Mm -hmm. one abortive attempt to liberate a freehold which didn't even ask for liberation yeah and i actually like there's a whole sidebar where it's like cold fort the other side of the story and it raises this question i guess it's another theme about like the question of intervention you know like not every commoner wants to ditch their noble not every noble is oppressing their commoner and like as the ideologies kind of separate and firm up and people have to choose one side or another, it kind of raises the question of what happens to the people in the mushy middle. Mm-hmm. It's not really directly addressed here, but just kind of obliquely, it's something that's in the mix. So, Well, it even presents like the Baroness is going a bit through, I think she was going through a bit of bedlam. bedlam yeah. yeah, And then she overreacted and that actually kind of led to things. Yeah. 
But like the troll childling who defended the freehold, later on we find out that it was like she had an awful childhood until she came into the care of this baroness whom she adores. Mm-hmm. So when the baroness was like, I demand oaths of loyalty, the troll childling said, okay. Yeah, she's like nine. Like, right. <laughs> and a troll. And she still beat up a pack of satyrs. Yep. There's also this distinction between the oath taken, those who swore the oath of loyalty, and the oath free, who did not. Mm-hmm. So peace attempts broke down between the nobles and the oath free, and that leads to this escalation of events. Then we get some burned parchment. Mm-hmm. Goblin parchment. And this is a skahawk, right? Yes, led by Rowena the Just. Who are using their skahawky ways to pass messages to people who couldn't communicate. Until later in the book, they decide to throw in. <laughs> yeah. And this is where she meets hot young king wannabe Dan Wynn. Like this random, mm-hmm. she shows up and he's a possible contender for the crown. Yeah, I have no idea what that was about. Again, the line ended so we can never say for sure. But my yeah. speculation is that if David is Arthur, this is Mordred. But like, you know, charming Mordred. <laughs> so. Okay, because yeah, they definitely said it was like King David's son or something. I don't know that they ever say it outright, but there's this implication that he's like, oh, it's like David as he used to be or whatever. And it's like, hmm, interesting. Yeah, they definitely apply a, a connection to David, not just yeah. random. We should also point out, because C20 walked so much of this back, I don't think any of these characters ever appeared again. This mm-hmm. is like the point where they retconned back to, I think. Yeah. Then we get Rotgut Redhelm doing a recruitment speech for his Urban Renewal League of commoner yeah. rabble-rousers. Eat the rich, I mean she. So. Yeah, it's basically just like a manifesto. and yeah. <laughs> They're not great. They are yeah. hyper-violent and want nothing more than to eat the nobles. Eat the rich. Mm-hmm. Then Jordana, the lady high ritualist of the shadow court, giving prophecy. I dig her too. She's pretty cool. Yeah, The handwriting font, I would have picked a different one. Yeah, but you can actually read it, which is nice. That's true. <laughs> so... Friend of the show and host of Sister Podcast Mage the Podcast, Terry Robinson, asked in our time episode about ideas about how to do prophecy. And I kind of like the way it's done here. Uh, I think we get, is it three prophecies? Four prophecies. Mm. They're kind of cryptic and poetic in their structure. There's attention to detail about how the prophecy was spoken, and then uncertainty from the prophetess herself about the different interpretations. And yeah. I like that sort of combination. Yeah, it's and it's like vague wording and throws in, mm-hmm. but throws in a few references where you're like, mm, that means something. Yeah. So the four in order talk about the thinning of the mists, the arrival of a new child, whether that's metaphorical or not, and mm-hmm. the turning of the falcon or whatever, the eye of Balor and the Fomorians, and then a coming winter king, mm. David Argy being the summer king. And I'm like, hmm, Danwin slash Mordred. I thought Danwin was the coming of the Falcon's child. Or is that... I mean, could be both. The Winter King definitely seems... Ooh. Yeah. What if he's a Fomorian agent or something? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I like this. This is probably how I would recommend to do Prophecy and Changeling. So the mist grow thin. Interesting. Yes. And then the timeline where I'm like... They just kept adding dates they kept patting it okay oh i see the timeline okay so june 6 1998 disappears so then okay they skipped out the first parliament of green meeting dreams meeting yeah 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 there was like 18 months of parliament meeting twice <laughs> yep and then january 2000 
I think that's the last one. It's supposed to be the last one. Yeah. And then it turns into the two minor skirmishes. And then Danwin shows up. And then Rotgut Redhelm massacres a freehold. Yeah. The appearance of Danwin, which incidentally is on High Summer Night in 2000, July 17th, it mentions the beginning of his Crusade of Dreams, which I don't think we actually see another reference nope. to that anywhere. So No, but in his write-up, it does say they'll be showing in future supplements. Right, yeah. Well, he's gathering followers, that's all we're told. Yeah. So. And then we get the stance of every freaking society we have ever seen in the game. so if you want a write-up on every secret society this book has it and it actually gets into a fair amount of detail about what the societies do so like you if, if all you want is secret societies this, this section yep. would help you plus some new societies because that's what we needed yeah i don't know if we need every society but if there's a few highlights if you want to throw names i can throw phrases yeah. Be- beltane blade they hope to tighten nobility's power without David in the mix. Catacomb Club. They basically want to be the founding parents the way the revolutionaries were in the early days of the U.S. Cat's Cradle. They are kind of ignorant of some of the divisions in the society, and they're afraid amongst themselves because they're split between which queens to support. Children's Crusade. Unsealy sleeper agents waiting for the moment to strike. Emma's Little Helpers. They are just running amok and loving their lives. Eyes of Baylor. Also seizing the opportunity to strike, or to prepare to strike. The Golden Sickle. They generally support Fairleth, often financially, because they are the rich Cathane, and some of them are more into Lenore. I mean, like, support her. They're not, yeah. they're not like, into her, because she's a teenager. No. Guardians of the Gates. This I found really interesting because, as you'll recall from Book of Houses 2, they're House Bellor, and they're like, oh, we're keeping the nightmares and the dreaming. And secretly, they're like feeding them, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a result, they control the trods, and they're the ones who met the denizens first. So they are very well placed to be power brokers. Guardians of the Silver Dragon. They are ready to fight. Yeah, they're, they're the other side of the Red Branch, the other opposing. Yeah. Iron Brigade. Recruiting, waiting, seeing what's going to happen. Iron Paladins. <laughs> kind of a sore spot for House Gwydion, but they are also ready. Sharpening their cold iron blades. Knights of the Cold Iron Watch? No, just Cold Watch. <sighs> also recruiting and patrolling more since the denizens returned. And presumably, I guess, yeah, because Book of Lost Houses hadn't come out yet, we don't have House Bomain here, but yeah, I would imagine they are, yeah. Knights of Sathar. Mostly supporting Lenore, trying to keep the chivalric peace in New York. Loki's brood. They are stoking political tensions, primarily with protest songs, I think? Yep. The Low Road. Recruiting and coordinating as the need for their services rises. The Minutemen. Recruiting and coordinating as the need for their services rises. I imagine the Minutemen were the ones who got called into Cold Fort and they were told, like, Oh, this noble has gone round the bend or something. Mm-hmm. Monkey's paw. On retainer for the shadow court. The ranters. They're just, they're doing their same old thing. Stoking revolution where they can. Didn't we already get a section on the red branch in this chapter? But the red. We did. <laughs> they're having an identity crisis and they remain divided over whom to support. The sneakers. 
This isn't even. This is just like a motley, like a little oats. <laughs> <group. laughs> yeah, they expect more demand for their services in the coming future because this was the year two thousand one when everyone was getting online. Sons of Liberty. They are freedom focused, and yeah, <laughs> veterans of the Accordance War. They are sharing their expertise from the Accordance War with any commoner who asks. And also being persecuted by the Shi. Yes. And then there's a bunch of new secret societies, because that's what we need. <sighs> I've got blurbs for these, too. Okay. Childling Underground Railroad. They get childling outcasts and casualties to safe houses away from harm. The Common Rights Society. They seek total equality and perfect communist utopias, because nothing ever went wrong with that. The CLO? They try to protect the rights of commoners? Crown loyalists. They support Fairleth, and that's it. That's their whole identity. Yeah, but, yeah okay. Uh, the Damned If You Do Fellowship. I, I don't know what the deal is with the name. They make a big deal out of it, and I'm like, I don't get it but they're wandering oath-free who want no part of the war, and they are just committed to survival. I think the name came from a, the Puka leader said it, and then everyone's like, yeah, that sounds great. And the Puka's like, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but like in what context? I, I don't know. Kithane for a free tomorrow. They're kind of a useful idiot for the shadow court. They're yeah. meant to promote ongoing dissension. You can't call yourself that and not be like secretly evil. It's just like... Yes. <laughs> Riders of the Midnight Trods. Yes, these are the Hauskaha couriers led by Rowena. Urban Renewal League. Rotgut Vethelm's anti-noble terrorists. I felt like we got this before, but anyway, yeah, I guess it is. There were a lot of things that I thought I had remembered from previous books, and I was like, oh, no, I guess this was where they appeared. So, yeah. And then we talk about the ripple effect and the rest of Concordia, yes. and it goes into like what's going on in the kingdoms. You want blurbs? I've got blurbs. Blurps, that sounds good. Kingdom of Willows. So after her grand tour, Fairleth decided to camp out there because she felt safe because her uncle and ward were there, and her supporters at least now consider it the heart of Concordia in exile. Kingdom of Grass. Queen Mary Elizabeth is shoring up her defenses and trying to enforce peace and nonviolence by any means necessary, including oaths of loyalty. Kingdom of Northern Ice. Remains non-committal but is being drawn in because more and more refugees from the kingdom of apples are arriving. So they feel like they have to get involved. Maybe mm -hmm. kingdom of the white sands. Similarly trying to stay out of it, but feeling the pressure, especially as more and more pirates and raiding parties have been taking advantage of the chaos kingdom of Pacifica steadily becoming more unseely and it's fabled egalitarianism is on shaky ground. Kingdom of the Burning Sun. Chief Greyhawk has officially declared neutrality, but that includes the Shadow Court, and so the Shadow Court is just like living their best life down in the Southwest. Yeah, they've also closed their borders entirely. To... Well, unless they get permission. Yes. Kingdom of the Feathered Snake. Oh, wait, is this the one that the Shadow Court... Oh, maybe, maybe I mixed up. No, Kingdom of the Feathered Snake is the one where... I still don't know if this is part of Concordia or not, but it's... <laughs> It's an extension of Concordia and getting support from Concordia. And now that David's gone, it's kind of not. Yeah. Continuing their colonial invasion of Mexico. If only there were an upcoming Storytellers Vault supplement that could help us hash that out. Yeah. 
Um, it does say under Burning Sun that some claim that Greyhawk has invited the Shadow Court to use his land as a headquarters, but I feel like that's yeah. people mixing up the kingdoms. I feel like Burning Sun and Feathered Snake like are so different in a way that makes it hard to make sense of the two to me. But was it Nobles the Shining Host? Is they're like, oh, many fey use the expression the sun and the snake or something. And like, do they? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And then we get outside of Concordia proper, even though this is still in the Concordia section, the Feasts of Bright Paradise. Piracy is on the rise as the pirates press their advantage in the context of disorganization. Yeah, I feel like having the Caribbean all be pirates in this game is a problem. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and then properly, and then it's beyond Concordia's borders. Yeah. I mean, briefly... Hibernia is considering jumping in, but also trying to ensure their own realm doesn't erupt into war. The Isle of the Mighty is on the alert with Cymru at the breaking point and maybe starting their own revolt. Iberia and Nustria are full of nobles distrusting the commoners. The Galatian Confederation is full of commoners hoping for a better future. And everyone else is like, meh. Yep. The Northern Realm's like, there's nothing going on here. I'm like, mm, wait till the next book on the Lost House. Yeah. <laughs> I also like how they include Eastern Europe in the Northern realms. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's, that's chapter one full on. Yeah. And they also cover a few other places that are basically all like, no. And yeah, I think this might be the most write up we get about some of this until C20 players guide. Like, Probably. Yeah. But yeah, it's a lot. I guess it's helpful. It's almost as though, if like another core book had been coming out and they had to do a current state of affairs chapter, this would have been pretty solid. Yep. But then we get chapter two, Feasts of Battle and Places of Refuge, or the first heading, The Kingdom of Apples, is actually should have been the title of this chapter. Because <laughs> it's just about the various duchies in the Kingdom of Apples. So we have the Duchy of the Golden Sigil, which is New York, ruled by the elected troll grump Keladin out of Buffalo. His control is tenuous and many subjects are disaffected. It's just like city versus upstate New York politics. Yeah. They left out something about when he took it over, it should have been like all a big deal and it's waned in power. And then we get a big section on Taranar, which my husband is from Catskill. And nah. I was describing this to him and he found this hilarious. So <laughs> This is very much like old style D&D where you have a battle map to go with all this description. Because mm. it's like, here's where everybody's bedroom is in relation to each other. <laughs> and you don't really need that unless you're planning to raid the thing. Yeah. But Well, it may start a lot of other rooms, though. So, but yeah, I liked it. Yeah, it's fine. Like, it's, yeah. it sounds like a nice place to spend a parliament. Yeah, this felt like maybe we should have had this in a different... It would have been nice if we had this in an earlier book. I think that's what they wanted to have this yeah. description. This was sitting in a draft folder waiting to be deployed somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and then sort of tied to it. The Hall of Advocates. That's a weird word for parliamentarians to me, but anyway. Yeah. And then Home Fires, the winter court in Manhattan in a brownstone artist colony, which I'm just like... <laughs> I mean, you're the high king of Concordia. That's what it takes to afford <laughs> this. <laughs> I guess he can both afford the building and and afford to fund artists to come stay there. That's the... Yeah. I mean, if you, if you could afford that, you would get writers there, right? And artists. That's, I suppose. We also have Goblin Town as a refresher. Yeah, update from Freeholds and Finn Glens and Kith Book Knockers. Presumably, in the credits, they mentioned Christopher Howard did some additional material, and I'm guessing he, if nothing else, was responsible for this update. This also makes me sad we didn't get any updates on like the Knocker 
sort of central government in Halifax. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what they think about it. Then we get the Duchy of Gardens, New, New Jersey. Represent. So the, the Kingdom of Apple's main palace is in New Jersey. I find that amusing. Well, what's also even more bizarre is that they chose Palisades Park, which, granted, was a big deal in its heyday, but... I did a little bit of background just to check. It closed in 1971, so the middle of the Accordance War. And like, I'm familiar with that spot as being condos, because when you look across the river, you see the cliff and there's condos on top of it. Mm -hmm. So that seems like an odd place to have the capital of the kingdom. But okay, I guess there's enough lingering dreams of carousels to keep it glamorous. Yeah, unless they kept the carousels in the World of Darkness. Yeah, perhaps. Queen Mab likes the view, at least. Hopefully Lenore yep. does, too. Yeah, and then we get Pennsylvania, the Duchy of Liberty's... Oh, the Liberty Bill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, also the signing of the Declaration of Independence and the yep. drafting of the Constitution. Okay. Yep. Many a thing. Yeah, and the one paragraph on that. The Duchy of Stone Coast, Maine. I guess I kind of like Stone Coast. It's ruled by Eleonoria Ap Elenet, an academic and writer. Yep. I feel like the Pennsylvania, Maine, and New Hampshire were... Well, we need to write right. yeah. for these places. Yeah. It didn't have a lot of ideas there. I'm sure like yeah, I'm sure you could do way more for Pennsylvania and like I know Maine and New Hampshire people could definitely do more there, but that's what frustrates me so much about this chapter. So my guess is that Kingdom of Apples was going to be the next kingdom book after mm-hmm. Willows. And they had the names of the duchies and the rulers and maybe a couple other little pieces. And then it was like, oh, the line's ending. Where can we put this? Okay, let's put it in War and Concordia. And then to make it War and Concordia-ish, they cast all of these places as like, well, it's a noble, but they're kind of okay. But now things are getting kind of fractious and they're not sure what's going to happen. There might be anarchists. And that's it's just like repeated throughout yep. all of these. And I wish we had gotten anything more about the actual places. But And then a big thing on a horse stable in maine or in vermont sorry yes <laughs> fey steeds perhaps under Karenlith ap gwydion who supports fairlith i did like that it's a nexus point for trods that at least is an actionable story hook and then duchy of pewter massachusetts which has a little bit confused boston's controlled by commoners yeah what i i don't remember the well, there's the Freeholds and Hidden Glens pub or whatever. I didn't get the impression like all of the Boston areas. Or did I mean just Boston? Because Boston, the city of Boston is actually a tiny area. So. Well, and she's in Ipswich, which is not that far from Boston. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I continually had the feeling like I had missed something for a lot of these. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder, maybe some of these were like characters from the LARP community or I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I like that she's an a little duchess. Maybe they had an outline and then yeah. they just added the Ward of Concordia stuff. That's Duchy of Sales, Rhode Island. Favors Mab, but also harbors pirates. Hmm. Duchy of Fairwinds, Delaware. I love the idea of Delaware being under Shadow Court Siege because they want those no-tax computer sales. <laughs> Liniel ap Elenid. And then here's a thing. I'm like, how did this work? The Commonwealth of Hope's Boundary, Connecticut, where it's actual like commoner run. Yeah. Like Republic. 
I mean, all that I will say is this informed some of the take that my co-author and I are doing for the New York book coming up. So I'm into it. Although it was weird because Massachusetts and Pennsylvania famously are the commonwealths, not Connecticut. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Anyway, they've got a satyr grump governor named Jarkis who wants to model fey democracy for all. Feocracy. And then we get a few more narrowed in places. Well, one of them is in the kingdom of willows. (laughs) Yeah. Virginia. I'm like, what? It's Washington, D.C. Yeah. I liked the Greenwich Village gallery where the paintings show the current political stuff going on. Yeah, this whole thing made me go like, man, a Kingdom of Northern Ice storyteller stuff in the book would be great. And then I'm like, I can't do that. Nobody (laughs) can. Do do you know how much you would have to? Oh my goodness. (laughs) To do it right? (laughs) It is an undertaking, I'm sure. Yeah. Anyway, I yeah. So overall, I found myself indifferent to this chapter, which was disappointing because I was hoping to not be indifferent to it. Because it tells nothing about the places, just like the current politics of their leaders, plus some freehold descriptions. Yeah. I also had like Wheel of Time feelings because we kept getting all of these really elaborate she names that you're never going to see again. And that's very common in the Wheel of Time books. Yeah, I kind of, I'm glad that I have this chapter versus nothing. (laughs) It's better than nothing. There we go. I'd rather it exist than not exist. For sure. Which... If you listen to our reviews of other books, is actually probably in a higher level of changeling book or something. Oh, well. Yeah. And then we get a picture of, I don't know what that is. Is that supposed to be a parliament? Is that supposed to be the bridge of the enterprise with she? Like, I'm not. <laughs> Why not both? Yeah. Then we get chapter three, children of war and peace people. That's a weird title, but this has a lot of detail on a lot of NPCs, so. I've got blurbs again. But. Okay, let's go through the blurbs. Maybe if we'll narrow in on a few, zoom in on a few things, but. Yeah. So there's Adama. Is this just a Battlestar Galactica references or something? Anyway, Adama, General of the Army of the Dreaming. He's an inner city Boston kid, an issue dancer slash soldier turned honorable war leader. We did get him in a different book, right? Is that, mm. I don't think we did. Uh, maybe in Kissbook Issue. No, no. In an earlier book, there's something about his chrysalis and stuff, wasn't there? You might be thinking of the Storyteller's Guide opening where Safe chrysalizes someone. Uh, okay, I got them. Okay. Is there anything you want to say more about him? But... Just that whenever I see the like inner city descriptions in here, I'm always like, oh. <laughs> yeah. But you know, he's he's fine. Rowena the Just, leader of the Riders of the Midnight Trods. I mean, that about some syrup, but uh, that stable in Vermont is how she got crystallized when she watched a horse give birth. I do like her, though. I mean... <laughs> yeah, I like her, too, but there's like a weird... Wasn't there a weird thing about her having very Saxon hair or something? Like... Well, hairstyle. Yeah. Yeah. She's got a Saxon name and Saxon hair. But she should be, like, Irish. Or she... Anyway. Uh... Yeah. Vardane Apalil Bard of the Winter Court. He is a San Francisco spoiled child who became like your manga boyfriend, a little bard. And just looking at his picture, I'm like, I'm sure I've seen this on the cover of some manga in the bookstore. Mm-hmm. But he split up with his Slewick girlfriend over the war, and now he's trying to, I don't know. <laughs> so the term Bishi, anyway. 
As far as yeah, these maybe. go for she, <laughs> like I think of this type for she, I like him better than the other types of him for she. This for she. He has unquestionable allure to fay of both sexes. Sir Ranulf Dorsey Ap Dougal, Knight of the Red Branch. Star quarterback gets paralyzed and realizes his Dougal nature, which makes me go, uh, and then he leads the Red Branch Knights. I don't know how I feel about his origin story, but. Idrissia, hero of Cold Fort. We were talking about her earlier. Yeah. She is the troll childling who repelled attackers from Cold Fort because it was her first true home. She looks really old in her picture, but I guess that's the whole troll <laughs> thing. Yeah. Charity, the invisible patriot. An abused rich teen who beat trauma to become a sensual information broker slew a courtesan. Again, origin stories that I'm like, okay. I think I've seen this character. Didn't we have that origin story before with Kith? For another Slua, in fact. Um, yeah. What's, what's her name in Hawaii? Yeah. Rotgut Redhelm. A Philly gang kid. There, yeah, there's choices in language here that I just i am not pleased about. Mm-hmm. But he's had bad times with she, and so he's striking back as hard as he can. Yeah, the stuff that she did to him, actually, I'm like, that is kind of horrific. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm not yeah. saying I can't understand why he's upset. Yep. Fenarius the Honest Liar. Crafty runaway kid joins the circus and becomes a Fox Puka protest leader. See, there's another circus. It's not just all Midnight Circus. <laughs> there's this other Fay Circus. Although, I guess that doesn't work anymore. Do, yeah. Does it say that it's not the Midnight Circus, though? Uh, yeah. It's, <laughs> I, it's not the same description <laughs> as the Midnight Circus. Yeah, that's true. Jordana, the voice of winter. Satyr Grump Prophetess with an Ishu Daughter Scribe, who has, by a turn of fate, ended up in the Shadow Court. Mm-hmm. We have her prophecies earlier. Yeah. I think Fenarius and Yordana are my two favorites. Rowena is third, out of the new characters. Mm-hmm. Nile Peacemaker. Formerly homeless She Grump, who we saw in the prologue, now committed to spreading peace. Yeah, who... Obviously there's more to him, I wonder what it yeah. is. Uh, Let's see, he's, he's a Gwydion, he's got uh, unheard of levels of Sovereign and Primal, he excels in sword fighting. Hmm. Yeah, he went, he's, he'd forgone through the forgetting for some reason. Oh, story, con- I'll read the story connection paragraph. Now Peacemaker has a part to play in the future of Concordia, just he had a part in its past, though he does not remember it. Hmm. Storytellers use him as a figure of inspiration while retaining the mystery of his past. Interesting. So that's, is it like they are expecting the storytellers to know who he is without saying it? Is that what's going on? Because I knew. For... <laughs> like if it's... Also, he's in his mid-40s. Yep. So, <laughs> also relevant. Then we have Danwin Apguidian. Trackstar gets displaced by an arriving Gwydion She who has a crown to seek. Who just returned, yeah. Just returned. And also, in the future, Caesar remains shrouded in the mists. More on Danwin's identity will emerge in future supplements. That's not how to do prophecy, correct? But Yeah. And then the old characters with updates that we've had described in other books. Just so many characters. But to the credit of the authors, it's got the Kingdom of Willows thing going on where we're not given any actual yeah. stat blocks. It's just, here's what they're up to. Here's what they look like. Here's how to roleplay them. Here's their story. I actually. just realized, yeah, this book has no sample characters, actually. Either. No. But we get enough detail on all of these, like, regardless of what you think about using them in a game, if you wanted to use any of these NPCs, 
you get enough description of them to use them in a game, I think. Yeah. So, uh, so there's, do we want to go through? I mean, briefly, we have Fairleth. She's completed her grand tour and longs for David's return to bring peace to the land. Yep. Uh, I'll get you to pronounce the next guy. Sertlai <laughs> <laughs> Arduyad, the Forsworn Knight, the Lancelot, who feels David's disappearance is his fault and continues to protect his secret love, the Queen. Yeah, and he's like, what, the cousin of... So when they say cousin, are they talking like mortal cousin? It gets confusing sometimes. When they... I mean, who knows, but it can't be any more disconcerting than David and Morwen having been lovers and now stuck being brother and sister and that deeply informs Morwen's choices. But mm-hmm. there's Sir Safe the Swordbearer, who has matured since receiving Caliburn and done his own grand tour to drum up support. And they kind of tease keys to the kingdom here, and I'm heartbroken about that. <laughs> uh, He's like, oh, oh he... he may have to go away from Concordia to other places in the world. And like, yep, that's what we were gonna get at some point. Yep. You get Morwen, the sister ex. Sister ex-wife. Yeah. She's trying to be honorable, but she is ready to take the reins if the occasion demands. Either for herself or for Lenore, who's totally not old enough yet. Yeah. Although maybe she is old enough. She totally is. Like, David was nine or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. People are like, Lenore's not ready. And I think it is clever the way they set this up, where it's like, if David was dead, I think Lenore just would have been queen like high queen right fine but they know he's not dead they just don't know where he is what happened to him which was part of milka's plan from the get-go yeah i I do think this whole this whole book just illustrates how david had good intentions and he could he got people to work together but he was not the best planner no like a changeling planning for what happens if you go through the forgetting and no one can find you should probably be like in your succession plan should be there what to do in that situation especially if you're royalty (laughs) yeah yeah david should have written living well if he just wrote down instructions everyone knew the instructions they would have been like okay this is what we're gonna do yeah anyway the queen mab ruler of the kingdom of apples who is one of like number 57 to like think maybe she should try to throw her hat in succession (laughs) crisis honestly she's probably the best pick out of all of them because she helped build Concordia and she wants to keep it alive and she yeah. is well placed to like determine so much. But mm-hmm. yeah, I actually kind of like Queen Matt. It's basically her versus Morwen, if you think about it, because both of them are yeah. wanting to have Lenore ultimately be the queen at some point. But interesting. Or so they say, at least. Yep. Just maybe they want to be the queen first. I think they still believe they want her to be the queen. Yeah. Point. I love the Queen Mab line. If only David Ardry had waited another few years before disappearing. <laughs> so inconsiderate of him. Yep. But that's uh, chapter three. Did you have any favorites? Um, I don't know. I don't have favorites. I don't have any strong dislikes, but I don't have any standout. This is amazing either. So yeah. And then we get some I just realized. I didn't really look at it the first time. Very uncomfortable art. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm ready to skip right over that. Okay. Chapter four, Battlefield Dreams. Yes. So before we get to the mechanics, Mm -hmm. there's some general notes, which I think are actually fine. Yeah, this is this is reasonable for the most part suggestions on how to do this. Mm -hmm. I like the suggestion to have the characters play the role of grunt troops once. 
mm-hmm. only once so that they can see how hellish the battles actually are. I think that's a fair yep. point to make. But then, yeah, then let them take the spotlight again. There's advice on doing focused description and cutaway scenes to kind of, you know. Yeah. I think that's good advice in general, honestly. <laughs> I don't think I would read example B, though. Like yeah, the... I, I mean, that's a lot of focused description. Yeah. And then we get some mass combat advice first, where they talk about breaking it into pitch battle, strategic assault, and mass melee. The second of which is what the mass combat rules provided are really meant to work with. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about those mass combat rules. Yeah. So this also, first of all, they don't actually say really what to use this for. Because I'm like, this would only be if your player characters were making decisions, right? Like we're actually like the generals in a sense or whatever in this mass comp, like large groups of fae. Yeah. I mean, I think so. It's not the pitched battle that's like hundreds and hundreds of combatants and it's not mass melee where there's any number of combatants who are all just fighting the next person one after the other it's very much one unit of troops crashing into another Mm -hmm. but too big to just use the regular combat right bigger than the motley but maybe the motley is leading them or something yeah like i don't know they don't really give suggestions on when to use like how big should it be? I don't know, twice as much as the PC group to ten times as much. Like it doesn't really suggest when to use this. Well, I mean, it it says strategic assault. That's what it recommends. Yeah, or it says it works best with them. Oh, it does mention miniatures here. There we go. <laughs> Battle mats and miniatures. I have found yeah. when you do even just regular combat system with the world of darkness occasionally not battle mats and miniatures but like you take if you're playing in person you take random objects and you're like when everything gets confusing as to who's where and what doing what mm-hmm. sometimes it can be helpful to lay stuff out yeah one time it was fun we used candy and every time somebody <laughs> uh, npc died we ate the candies oh i'm going to suggest that the right number of troops for like each side is probably 20 mm. that seems to be like about or maybe 30 or 40. Well, it has value per 10 individuals of each yeah. type. So I guess it would go bigger than 20. Well, the examples they're using are like three points, four points, which sounds yeah. like 20 normal fae with like a couple elites thrown in who are probably the players. In any case, they break down, they suggest breaking down a unit into four categories. So there's normal, the ordinary troops who are like mm-hmm. random boggins the elite troops who are skilled in fighting or have natural weaponry, so like your skilled troll warriors. Extraordinary, which are powerful chimera, knocker war machines, and the like. And then special are the very rare types like denizens or inanime, or even dauntane. Oh, it doesn't even suggest like enchanted humans. They're in the special section. Okay. Enchanted humans or kinane brought into the battle to wield weapons changelings Mm -hmm. cannot, like iron and calculus. Mm Mm-hmm. So respectively, they count as one-tenth, two-tenths, five-tenths, and one to three-tenths, which you then add up to get the total value of your unit. I would be finding this math hard to use, I think. (laughs) Frustrating, if nothing else. Like, once you start pulling out fractions like that, like, why didn't they just make it one, two, five, and ten? Like, up to ten, or one to five. Then you get giant numbers. Well, and then the math gets even more complicated when you calculate the results yeah so you've got one method here that says 
basically the losing side takes casualties equal to the difference between the unit values doubled. So... Wait, no, you can't double it because, like, if the differences could potentially be less than one, and then doubling would make that smaller, but if it's more than one, doubling would make it bigger. Sorry, twice the difference. Okay, or twice. Oh, I'm thinking squared. Never mind. Double. You're right, doubled. Sorry, I was thinking squared. Never mind. Uh, so, for example, if army A has 3.4 points, while army B has only 3 points, army B has 0.4 fewer units and would suffer 0.8 casualties. Which I guess means eight random boggins. <laughs> well, it says in a normal troop with one point value, this would mean one casualty. So I think you're supposed to round up, and that's how many dead. Oh, like the I actual get it. numbers. Not necessarily dead. Maybe just knocked out or casualties. Yeah, yeah, knocked. No longer participating in the fight. Yeah, no longer a combatant. Then they also suggest that you can uh, roll a d10 to add an element of chance, but then maybe skip the doubling part. But at these numbers, like. That's really swingy. Yeah. If you're only doing like 4.4 versus 3, and then you roll a d10 and add it to it, like. And it gets even more complicated because you can add or subtract to the score with things like advantageous or disadvantageous position. Oh, so higher grounds were 10 boggins. <laughs> a fortifications were 50 boggins. Or 10 knocker war machines. Yep. Untested troops are minus 0.3. What? So you're bo- unless your Boggins a tested troop, like a troop member, they're actually he basically might as well not exist. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's per troop though. No, no, I think that's like collectively. Yeah, you're not subtra- you're not subtracting minus point two every time. <laughs> I'll say this. They're interesting. I don't anticipate using these, and if I do have a mass battle scene, I'll probably just come up with something else. Yeah. I would really I'm really curious if this was like tested and if so it's uh, a great question <laughs> word of advice for systems especially this sort of like obscure system from a supplement or something in a world of darkness game don't trust that it's been heavily play tested and will actually work at your table i haven't used this but just in general like you can't also treachery betrayal minus five I don't, you shouldn't have treachery betrayal in the, the system shouldn't cover that yeah probably not The much more useful part of this is that we get some suggestions on how to spotlight the characters amid a battle scene. So one-on-one duels, or some kind of significant melee mid-battle, or the reappearance of an unforeseen enemy. And I dig these because I don't think they're mutually exclusive. And, you know, it is easy for the characters to get lost in that kind of scene, especially if they're not battle-oriented as characters. Yeah, and there's a half-page sidebar on ammo, and I didn't like Yeah, this was not necessary. But the point stands because they yeah. say creating drama in the story matters more than like how many bullets an NPC has. Yeah. So don't be afraid to hand wave things. Yeah. But also don't just have everybody have infinite bullets all the time is my suggestion. Like that. Have them run out when the story demands they run out. Yeah. Or if, if tracking's not hard, like I just track it in my head. It's fine. No. I just don't sweat it if I get it perfect. Tracking is hard sometimes. <laughs> Some of us don't yeah. track so well. Then we get like two whole pages on sabotage from an issue, which I guess was kind of fun. Yeah, it was fun. It's kind of nasty, some of the stuff. Well, one of the suggestions was to taint glamour, and I'm like, tell me more. Yeah. Oh, that's what I wanted to bring up. <laughs> it's like, this is glamour. Like uh, poisoning the well. What is this the dark glamour thing? Or is this like... 
I guess so. Yeah. This reminds me of like re- some revised mage descriptions of quintessence, like one of the many meanings of resonance. Yeah. As we've discussed before, should Changeling have a resonance system? You decide, but here's another aspect to consider. Yeah. It doesn't give you a resonance system. It just sort of says there is one or implies yeah. there is one. <laughs> Figure it out on your own. I did really like the suggestion of like sicking autumn people on an enemy freehold. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, it's actually, that was a great description. You find like an autumn person and you just basically convince them that the freehold is like a place they actually want to go to and start talking to people for whatever reason. And then actually getting them to leave will be hard. <laughs> Knock, knock. I'm here for the arthritis medication focus group. Yep. There's also the note that trods can be destroyed, but it's unclear how. Which, nowadays, I guess that would be like a wayfair unleashing or something, or anti-wayfair unleashing, but it's an interesting uh, thing to consider. Mm -hmm. And we end the chapter with a brief overview of the sides taken. Which we kind of had in the introduction, but there's like yes. more sides now. <laughs> and we also kind of had in the society's part. And yep. We also kind of had in the chapter one. You, you're complaining about repetition earlier. There is some repetition, <laughs> right? But, and it's just everybody versus everybody, really. Like the, you can... Yeah. Well, nobles versus nobles in particular, there are so many points of possible disagreement because it can be yeah. they fight by court or by political faction, or by which queen they support, or by which house they're in, or and it just like goes on and on and on. Which secret society they're in. Right. Yeah. But then nobles and commoners, it's like, nope, this is very straightforward. We just don't want the Accordance War stuff to happen again. But then the commoners versus commoners is also complicated. So, Yeah, whether they want to keep the status quo or want revolution, in addition to replicating some of those noble alliances. And some just want to go wild. Throwing in non-kithing, but... Only changeling-specific ones. Yeah. So the Nunihi are taking sides or taking advantage of the situation. The denizens are doing their own thing. And the agents of stirring Fomorians are around. All of them can enter a conflict with a goal in mind besides just winning the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Appendix. My favorite organ. Yeah. Merits and flaws. These were... Yeah. I, I hate the oath-taken flaw so much. Oh, That's... yeah. It's really rough. That's not what breaking an oath should be like. Yes. Yeah. Why is that oath so much more powerful than like betraying your house or betraying right. your liege, right? Yeah. It, and it's a really rough flaw just in general, yeah. especially if you're like in a motley with other characters who are against nobles. You're like, well, sitting this one out. Boon of fate's very wishy-washy. It's the opposite of dark fate. Equally yeah. imprecise. But I like it as... A concept if we had like more mechanics or more structure to it i'd like yep. it more conceptually i think it's cool divided loyalties is like that's got to be covered by some other flaw right yeah and commanding voice one point physical merit people can hear you <laughs> that that actually is probably my favorite merit or flaw out of this it's, it's like yeah yep. i know people with that you get some weapons and things in a throwback to our midnight circus episode we do in fact have ferros wheels yep they do one ag damage. I'm having trouble picturing those. Like palm-sized discs tossed onto it. Like like chakrams. Like Xena. Or maybe just discuses. Oh, they're little, though. Yeah. Well, they're palm-sized, not like frisbee-sized. Like imagine throwing CDs at people. <laughs> okay. Hey, do you think those AOL CDs would have done like banality damage? Absolutely. <laughs> yep. 
the crackers. I mean, any any treasure pun. Makes I me loved these. Firecracker, air cracker, water cracker, earth cracker. Perfection. And of course, the heather bomb. Yep. Which isn't a thing in C20. That makes me so annoyed. They, they yeah. Healing grenade. The defender's gateway, I kind of dug as like a giant shield that forms a movable gateway to a trod, but you can only use it twice before it has to be passed along. It's got so many limitations, though, to it, given what it does that I found it kind of meh. I think it's good as like a story hook. Like, I would never yeah. ask someone, pay some dots to get this treasure, but no, it, it turns up and you're like, oh, you can use it twice, use it wisely. But I would have liked if it, because it only uses it twice, maybe there's also uh, extra limitations on it, maybe relax some of those or something, but anyway. And then a bunch of reprints of stuff from Kiss Book Knock. <laughs> Including a friend of the show, Terry Robinson. There's more balloon stats back again. I don't know that it's more. I think it's just the same ones. Yeah. I didn't go through and compare, but at least some of them are reprints. I don't remember the submarines or the... Well, yeah, the land and sea ones, I think, are actually new. But the airships, I think, are all Kiss Book Knockers. Mm -hmm. I'm in favor of balloons, though. More balloons. Have you ever used these vehicle rules? Never. <laughs> Me neither. I have no idea if they work at all. I've seen them in so many World of Darkness books. Some sort of yeah. usually they're like cars as opposed to. <laughs> I have used airship rules, but mm -hmm. not the land and sea stuff, as far as I can recall. I love the flying ships. Like there's a bunch of flying vehicles that just bite and kick. <laughs> they don't have any like ranged weapons. Why not? <laughs> yeah, and. Uh... Then we get a vague ad about Book of Lost Houses and Kithbook issue coming soon, which would indeed be the final. We do one. get those books. We do. So that's good. I also, I love the back cover glass icon with like the scorched moth. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. A lot of the changeling supplements on drive-thru were updated mm. and like nicer done. This one isn't well done. I'm just looking at it now Boom. compared to some of the other ones. But anyway, what are your overall thoughts? There were choices. I don't know how many of them I like. I don't hate it. It advances the meta plot kind of because, like I said, it's lots of repetition. The conceit of having it through the messages and the perspectives of a bunch of specific characters, I, I was okay with. But then it leaves the storyteller to do a lot of the heavy lifting to connect their game to it. But those messages and perspectives are like mutually contradictory and as is the case for many World of Darkness books, often open more questions than they answer. So it just kind of creates this atmosphere that I find difficult to figure out how I would put my game into it. And from what I recall from when this book came out, I certainly never played in a game that actually made use of it in mm -hmm. the scant <laughs> year and a half or whatever it was before the line ended. I did. But it was like in Kingdom of Northern Ice. So, well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure there were people who did, but I didn't see anybody yeah. like really leaning into it. Yeah. I wish there had been more guidance around that. And I'd like to have, I would have liked more about other kinds of games you could run with this as a backdrop and not just because it's almost like they're providing set pieces. It's like, here's important characters, here's some places in their current political allegiance, here's two catalyzing events here's all of the societies now go. And I don't, mm -hmm. if I don't feel the drive to do that, I'm like, so it's, it's deeply interesting and I would probably never use it. And indeed C20 retconned it. So, yeah. you know, I wanted more 
war. Like I wanted it. Like when when we get the description of the Accordance War in other books, yeah. I mean, it's not the Accordance War. It's it's more messy than that. But like, I wanted it to actually have started. Like you're in the middle of it, not it's about to start. The fact it took so many years, it just feels they're like it's coming. It's gonna come any time. Like it's 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 like trying right. to build tension, but taking too long to build it. Which certainly is in part an artifact of the long development process. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it had been released yeah. in 1999, it would have been like, oh, okay, here we go. But yeah, so it's a well-crafted book. It's just, I was saying earlier today, like, it's the kind of book that's built of all of these pieces that should create a thing that I yeah. absolutely love, but I just, I don't. Yeah, I just wanted more payout. If it had the payoff, even if this happened... If they had done this quicker, right? And it came out mm-hmm. in like 1999 or something, right? Okay, it wouldn't have felt quite as silly. <laughs> but I still would have been like, okay, thank you. Now I want the actual War and Concordia book like a year later. Right. <laughs> like... And the fact that the two books we did get, they don't really have any direct connection to this yep. book. So this was the cliffhanger. And then Keys to the Kingdom never happened. And then Time of Judgment, like kind of, yeah. you know, tied up a couple loose ends, but... Yeah, I would say to people now, you can pick it up if you want some deep cuts of alternate history lore that has been retconned, or maybe inspirations for NPCs, because the NPCs you can still drop in if you yeah. want. But Like, you could use some of this for now, like if, I don't know, David dies or something. Like, I don't know what you do. But like... <laughs> he will never die. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At this point. No, actually, if David dies, you wouldn't necessarily get it. Like, But it's also like, oh, yeah. Because they did have some of the buildup for David. Uh, we'll get into what the what exactly they retconned and didn't retcon. Because yeah, certainly we can bear this in mind moving forward and look for the echoes that did get carried into the newer books. Yeah, and like and it was also the whole like the Eye of Baylor, the changeling term mm-hmm. for the Red Star. There's like one little mention of it. It's like okay. And by the time that this book came out, all the other lines were like, they were over it. They're like, yeah, yeah, Red Star, it's whatever. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, middling, middling tier. Mm-hmm. There's nothing particularly horrible. Yeah. yeah. So we have some questions. Fref asked a very good question. Yes. From what I remember from previous episodes, some of the houses of changelings have other supernaturals for allies. Would these other supernaturals join the war? would they only side with specific members of the house? And it wasn't just houses, like Kith said that too. And the book does not mention it at all and should have. That should have been in here. Just like, and then the the Fianna should be conflicted. The Verbena should be conflicted. <laughs> but yep. no, it's just... Yeah, we have zero information. Fluor amassing ghosts. Nothing. <laughs> Given how much this book tries to have both the wars brewing and ah, everyone's fighting and like everything in between... I guess that mushiness of detail would have made it difficult to say, oh, Supernatural Group X will definitely be on the side of Fae Group Y. But they could have even just said Supernatural Group X will have to pick a side (laughs) or something. It didn't even mention they exist at all, which is weird because in the other books, they really, maybe this is the whole like revised era crossover sucks thing that they had going on. I mean, to your point about wishy-washiness earlier, I think that, the they'll have to pick a side is something that we already get with so many of the societies and the nobles and everything so it would have just compounded that feeling yeah that's true so then also road less traveled asks is there a scenario where david is rescued 
that's sort of the C20 take, although returned might be a better word than rescued. Mm-hmm. And Time of Judgment also has a different take that we'll get to. But I would argue there's a scenario where that he's, the start of the scenario is in this book. I mean, <laughs> rescue is a very broad term. Yeah. <laughs> he was rescued by a little... He uh, was recovered. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's Warren Concordia. Yeah. I remember really being more excited about it when it came out. Well, yeah, because it was the first book in almost a year. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it made a big impact in the LARP I was playing in. So yeah, well, that's fair, yeah. Anyway, you can find us at changelingthepodcast.com. You can uh, send us an email, podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. Go to our Facebook page, Changeling the Podcast. You can go to our YouTube we want to mention the YouTube. Yeah, you go to our YouTube, Changeling the Podcast. You can please join us on our Discord that continues to keep picking up. Discord.me slash CTP. Uh, we're on Patreon if you want to patronize us. Please do. It helps out, especially now that things are picking up. It's uh, Patreon's definitely helping there at uh, Changeling the Podcast on Patreon. And we're on Mastodon, Changeling Pod at Dice.camp. And links to all of these will be in the show notes to this episode on our website. Yeah. And once again, I'm Josh. I continue to be the veteran Puka. And remember, you never expect the Fomorian Inquisition. More as hell. Our show's resident mathematician has crunched the numbers and come up with some other equivalencies according to the battle rules provided in Chapter 4 of this book. If you sneak attack with untested troops, your force is four Asin Berserkers stronger than it would be otherwise. If you can't afford to hire that chimerical dragon, 16 Kobera and two-thirds of a Gloam ought to pick up the slack. And if your enemy is in a castle garrisoned by a battle-hardened troll, tough luck. You'll need 25 more Boggan paratroopers than you thought. We hope this information is useful to the tacticians among you, and we welcome you to contact us with other questions of comparative troop strength on our Discord at www.discord.me ctp. You can also sign up to support us via our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast to receive benefits such as a shout-out at the end of each episode like the following fine folks. Derek, Dorkadus, Oreo, Roscaboos, Sandjigger, Seija, Terry Robinson, and Tricerabeth. We also appreciate reviews on your preferred podcast listening platform to help get the word out about our show. In any case, vive la révolution, and until next time, keep on dreaming.